0: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Come on. How's everybody doing? All right. All right. Anybody stay up last night to watch uh, World Series? Anybody? No? 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 (laughs) One person. All right. Well, I'm from the South, so. Uh, I, I kind of cared because it was the brave. So anyway, uh, well, hey, well, we want to take just a second and welcome everybody online. Can we uh, just welcome them this morning? Come on, let them know. We're so thankful that you're joining us. Thank you for being a part. Uh, Pastor Aaron is out today uh, because uh, he and Pastor Brian and their family are um, with their family. Pastor Brian's grandmother passed away. And uh, so they're, they're there uh, spending time uh, with their family. And so if you want to uh, just th- consider the... Them this week and pray for them as they're going through uh, just a, a time of loss. Uh, I was actually uh, slated to preach um, a little, a couple weeks from now, um, so we're actually going to fast forward in this series we're in. If you are new to Red Hills, we've been in a series called "The Journey Home," where we've been looking at the life of Moses and talking about the journey that he uh, went on with uh, with God and in in his own life. And so, um, if you've got a Bible, you'll see that we're going to skip ahead. We're jumping to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, and we're skipping some stuff, uh, and, but Pastor Aaron will fill in those, those gaps when he gets back. We're going to talk, uh, we're, at, at a place in uh, Moses' life, we're going to talk about, um, in this moment, they've already uh, gone through the 10 plagues, they've already left Egypt, they've already seen uh, the Red Sea both open for them to have a pathway, and then also close on their enemies. And then after that, we see in this story that God provides for them, that he provides water from a rock, and he also provides bread from heaven. And they've seen throughout the story, not only in Moses' life, but for all of the Israelites, they've seen moment after moment after moment where God uh, provides miracles, often through the hand of Moses in their journey. And we're going to pick up where we we find them in Scripture today, is at the base of Mount Sinai. And if you're not familiar with this story, uh, Moses takes the Israelites to the base of Mount Sinai, and he tells them, he tells them, wait here for me, and he goes up to the mountain. And he's been gone when we start reading about 40 days. So if you've got a Bible... You can turn with me to Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. We're going to read a a fairly lengthy passage of Scripture. We're going to read the first 14 verses. It says this, that when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, "'Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord.' And they rose up early that next day, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people sat down to, to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, "'Go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt "'have corrupted themselves.'" They, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They are a stiff-necked people. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are stiff-necked. Now let me, let me alone so that my, my wrath may burn. So that my wrath may burn against them, and I can consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, "'O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, "'whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt "'with your great power and mighty hand? "'Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent "'did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains "'and consume them off the face of the earth?' Turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven and also the land that I have promised you I will give to your offspring." And the Lord relented from the disaster and he spoke to them, or he relented from the disaster as he had spoken, bringing on his people. Today I want to talk to you on the subject of different journeys, different perspectives. Different journeys, different perspectives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. I pray that as we look at this story and we read it, and we consume it, and we let it speak to our heart that you would challenge us and and change us, that you would do a work in us. We're going to open up ourselves as best as we know how. We're going to open up our minds. We're going to open up our soul. We're going to open up our ears. But God, we're believing that you'll do the rest. We trust you for this. In Jesus' name, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen. Have you ever been told that there's, there's more than one side to a story? I heard this a lot growing up. I always was irritated when I heard it because most of the time when people say it, it's because you're about ready to knock somebody's block off. You know what I'm saying? Like you're mad at somebody. You're frustrated at somebody. You're ready, you're ready to go to battle and then somebody looks at you and they're, well, there's, there's more than one side to a story. Some people would say there's two sides to the coin, but I like the phrase, there's more than one side to the story, because the truth is, is that you can have a moment in time. You can have a moment in time that you feel a very specific way about, yet if there are four other people there, they have different perspectives on that moment. They have different perspectives on that moment. We all can see the same exact thing, several different things happen, and we can walk away with very different versions of what happened. And oftentimes, when we think about how we process moments in our life, whether they be good moments, bad moments, difficult moments, there's one thing in common that changes the way that we view it, and that is time. Now, there's a, diff- a couple of different ways to think about time in this context. The first way is to think about time from an event, right? Like, like you have something happen in your life. Maybe you think it's devastating. But then after a while passes, you realize, oh, this was actually a good thing. How many of you have ever had that in, in your life? This mo- Like you, you've had a moment where you oh, it's not so bad. I remember when I was about 19 or 20 years old. And, uh, I thought that there was a, there was a, a girl in my life that I thought I was going to marry and she decided three days before Christmas, I hadn't proposed yet or anything, but I was, I was ring shopping. and I was pre-proposing. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I had, I had been looking potentially to say how much a ring would cost And three days before Christmas. She decided it was time to cut it off. Hey, George Fox people, raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you are college age or you are, let me just help you. Don't dump somebody three days before Christmas. <laughs> that will scar them forever, okay? Don't do that. That's not, the, like, life advice from Pastor Andy. That is, that is not helpful. That is not helpful. There, there is just this, this reality of time that in the moment it was painful However, many years later, I, I realized that God had somebody much better for me. I realized that God had somebody much, much better for me. But now in the moment, it hurt. In the moment, it was rough. In the moment, it was difficult. There's that kind of time. But then there's also time in, in context of where you're at in life. Context of, of where, like where you're at in your own personal life. One might would say your own personal journey, that there is a reality that we see things differently based on where we're at in our own journeys. How many of you would say that you are uh, under 25 in the room? Let me see your hands. I I swear I'm not gonna do this all day, I promise you. Under 25, wave at me, wave, wave at me. All right, now put your hands down. Now, if you're in the room and you've walked with the Lord for 25 years or more, raise your hand. Okay. Look, look around the room. Those of you who said you're 25 years younger or or, or younger, younger, or 25 years or younger. I'm struggling this morning. There is, there is a reality that those people will see the things that you go through in your life differently than you experience, than how you experience them and think about them. Why? Because they're in a different season of life than you. They're in a different season of life. Sometimes that wisdom and experience is helpful. Sometimes it's not, but they do see things different. That where you're at in your journey, if we're talking about just the life that you're living or your spiritual journey, it informs how you think and feel about things that are happening in your world. It's the truth, that it it changes things. And when I look at this story that we read in Exodus 32 I think about two very different journeys that we're we're peering into. We're looking first at Moses. Now Moses, in this particular season of his life, has walked with the Lord through some difficult things. He is in the middle of his journey, maybe a little further than the middle, but he is kind of in the middle of his journey with God. And he's experiencing very similar aspects to the moment that the Israelites are in. Yet the Israelites are much newer in their journey and walking with God and trusting in God. And because of that, because of their differences in that, they struggled to respond in a healthy way when they found themselves in a moment that was unknown, in a moment where they were unsure, and truthfully, before we can really talk about Moses' journey through this story, we really need to understand also where the Israelites were. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, if you grew up with like the Charlton Heston, let my people go kind of version of the story of Moses, th- there's a reality that you look at the Israelites and you go, these stupid people, these stupid, stupid people. They, all they had to do was wait on Moses to come back. But I have two words for you, 40 days, 40 days. Now think about where they're at in their relationship with God. Everything that they've seen from God has come through a person, Moses. And this guy comes down out of the mountains and he convinces all of them that God's will for them is to free them. And he starts uh, through God or by God through him to do all of these plagues. And then they follow this guy out of the land of Egypt. And when they get stuck at the Red Sea, what does God do? God uses the man to part the Red Sea. And then to close the water again on the people that were coming to get them, And then... Moses strikes the rock and water comes out of it. And then bread falls from heaven. You've seen a theme here, right? It all was connected through the hand of Moses. And these people, they don't, they don't in their journey with God, you can kind of tell in the scripture, have a big differentiation between following the man that God is using and following God himself. And they find themselves in this spot where They're now sitting at the base of this mountain where Moses left them. And Moses isn't exactly a spring chicken. He's an older guy. And he goes up into the mountains. And he says, I'll be back when I'm back. And a week passes. And the guy that you've seen God use through this whole thing, a week passes and he's not back. You think, ah, he'll probably be back soon. Two weeks passes. And then three weeks. And then a month. You're starting to go, oh, wait, what's happening? What's going on? They actually address it in the very beginning of the story. The Israelites say, it's for this guy that brought us out of Egypt. We have no idea where he's at. We have no idea where he's at. They were finding themselves in the middle of the unknown. More than a month had passed. And they had no idea what to do. You know, the unknown is something that we all experience in our life where maybe you think you have a plan, maybe you think you have a a trajectory, and all of a sudden things get shaken up and you don't know where your next step is yet. And you're kind of waiting on that next step. You're kind of waiting on that next step. It's a difficult spot because the truth is we have one of two responses. We can respond to the unknown in a way that says, in a way that says, that I'm going to be faithful in that unknown. That even if I don't know what's coming, even if I don't know what's gonna happen, I can still, I can still trust God. But that requires faith. It requires me to trust God. The, the other answer that oftentimes, especially when we're in the earlier part of our journey with God, that, that we often, the response that we have is not one of faithfulness, but it's fearfulness that we struggle with fear. And I'm sure at the base of this mountain where their leader left them, that they were full of fear, that they were full of fear. Now, fear is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because it can come to life in so many different ways in our life it can it can play in so many different ways in our life. It can be something that that gives us anxiety. It can be something that gives us worry. It can be something that even leads us to something that we know is unhealthy in our life. But because that thing that is unhealthy is familiar, even though we know it's unhealthy, it comforts us. It's it's why it's why in stressful seasons, some of us, our savior is Umqua or Tillamook. You know what I'm talking about? Like you, you, you've lost 40 pounds, but the pressure's on and you're needing something with both chocolate and peanut butter. You know what I'm saying? Like, like just chocolate's not going to do. You need something that's 400 calories by the spoon. Why? Because we all have had the moment where we go, I know it's unhealthy, but I just need something that I appreciate right now. I need something that just comforts me a little bit. We've all had, we've all had that. I told somebody before the gathering, they, were, they had talked about baking like 60 cookies this weekend. And this person is skinny as a rail. And I just said, I hate that you're not fat. <laughs> and so, like, like you, you see, you, there's just some people it's not a problem. And so, I, you know, it just is what it is. But anyway, moving on. My own hang-ups, moving on. And anyway, anyway I, I just, like we, like, we know what that's like. It's unhealthy. It's not okay. But we give in to it just because there's familiarity to it. Oftentimes, what is dysfunctional in our life, what is sinful in our life, what is broken in our life, has familiarity to it. And I think what's interesting is when we look at the Israelites in this story, the things that they brought with them from egypt were the things that they made the golden calf out of the things that we bring with us out of the bondage that god redeems us from is often the thing that we go to when we are afraid or we are uncomfortable with the unknown i know that it's worked that way in my life that there have been things in my life that man i thought i'd dealt with i thought i had squashed i thought i had walked away from but something happens and then we go, oh, wait a minute. I don't, I don't remember that desire anymore. I don't remember struggling with that like in a long time. But something happens and there's that check of, oh, I didn't think that this was a problem. And then we, then we have to ask the question in that moment, are we going to be someone who is faithful in the unknown or fearful in the unknown? I think that there's also, when we look at this story, this is kind of a side note, but I think it's important for us to recognize, is that when we are younger in our journey with God, too often we put too much emphasis on the man instead of the God that the man represents. We put too much emphasis on it. We, we, put, we, we put too much emphasis, um, we put too much of ourselves depending on that person. Because the problem is that every, every leader, every pastor, every person that we would look up to, we're all still like imperfect people. And we're all still people that have brokenness in us and sinfulness in us. We all have those things. We all have those things in us. And we're working through those things just like you are. The problem is that when we are younger in our journey, and that doesn't mean that you're young as a person, it just means you're younger in your faith in your faith walk, that often we put so much pressure on the person that when they mess up, and they will. When they do something that lets you down, and they will. We're more bothered by that than the fact that we were overly depending on that person instead of the God whom they also serve. And they see themselves in this spot, the Israelites do. And they begin to give in to what is, what they know to be unhealthy. And then they also still feel comfortable with. I think it's also interesting that in their dysfunction, and God actually directly deals with this in the passage, that they begin to give credit to what God had done on the, on the thing that they gave into. It says that they actually begin to celebrate that golden calf leading them out of Israel or leading them out of Egypt, excuse me. Because we, when we find ourselves in that fearful place, we will do anything to just make it make sense in the moment. This is the journey that the Israelites find themselves on. But then there's Moses. In many ways, Moses is dealing with some of the same things they are, unknown. Moses goes on this mountain. There's no indication in the passage that Moses knew he was going up for 40 days. Like that's a long meeting. (laughs) Right, like we would all agree that's a long meeting. Some of y'all got long meetings all the time. That is a long meeting. 40 days, even I'd be done. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, that is a long time. But he's he's in two different areas in his life. Number one, he's in a very different journey where he knows that regardless of how long it takes for God to give him exactly what he needs, that he can still trust that God is paying attention to what's going on. But the other side of it is that he is also comfortable. He is more comfortable in God's presence than he is figuring out the answer to what their next steps are. And the longer that we follow Jesus, I think that that is a, a great mark of what it means to be mature in our faith. That we can understand that, that, you know what, I may not have all the answers, you know what, I may be imperfect, but I know that if I can just find God's presence and I can just sit there, God will take care of me and God will bring what I need into my own life. Moses, Moses has this unique tension, I'm sure, in and of it. This moment. I mean, think about it. This is a guy who's brought these people out of Egypt. This is a guy who risked coming back to Egypt, right? Because he killed a man before he, before he left. So he risked everything to come back to Egypt to bring them out. And he's sitting on this mountain after miracle after miracle and miracle with God. And he begins to find out that their perspective has shifted significantly. And not only did they give up on him, but they also gave up on God in this moment. That they gave into fear and began to turn their attention to something else. And the tension I'm sure in Moses' mind at this point is how do I respond to this? How do I respond to this different journey? How do I respond to these people who have a completely different perspective on what is going on right now? How do I do that? And Moses could have easily responded in anger. He could have easily responded in frustration. But he actually responds in three different ways that I believe this, that I believe equal grace and truth, as the New Testament talks about. So I wanna, I wanna spend just a, a few minutes that we have left and talk about the three different ways that Moses responds that equal grace and truth. The first way that Moses responds is he responds with perspective. I think that we know that Moses responds with perspective because most of us, or all of us rather, if we don't respond to perspective, when we seeing someone do something we know is wrong, our response is always to judge them. But it is when we, we come with a little perspective that we can say, you know what? Not the right move, but I've messed up too. I'm sure Moses is sitting there when God tells him about the calf, he's thinking, oh my Lord, how could they do this? They find themselves in a pinch and they build a golden calf. Wait a minute, the last time I was in a pinch, I killed a guy. You know, like, like there's a little bit of, oh, okay. You know, Like there's a little bit of, of perspective here. Oh, wait a minute, when, when I felt pressure, when I've been fearful, when I've responded, I've been cowardly too. I've done things that were not perfect as well. Moses responds with perspective. We can see that in his story because we we see that, we see that he doesn't respond. Now, don't get me wrong. He does come at him pretty hard when he gets down the mountain. He breaks the Ten Commandments and does a bunch of stuff. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in this moment, he responds with perspective. And how he talks with God gives us a very clear indication of what it means to respond when we see other people in a different season of their journey with a different perspective messing up. He responds first and foremost by caring for them. We see this brilliant picture in verses 11 through 14, which we'll look at here in just a moment, where it's clearly showing care for them, even though he knows they're doing something wrong. He responds with perspective. The second thing that he responds with is he responds with grace. He responds with grace. There is this, um, this word or phrase that we use in the church um, that you may have heard before, and it's called the shadow of Christ a type, or a shadow of Christ. And we'll talk about different people in the Old Testament where for a moment in their story, they are giving a picture of what Jesus will eventually do for all mankind. And in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul is instructing Timothy. He's talking to him, and he says that, that Jesus is the great mediator between our brokenness and God who is perfect. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. He says that Jesus is the great mediator, that he stands between us who are broken and sinful because that's like all of us. We all have things that make us fall short of God's glory in our life. And then there's also this perfect God. And Jesus stands in and mediates. Between us, as if to say, Lord, my sacrifice, my death and resurrection is stronger and is more powerful than their sin, which should disqualify them to be in relationship with you. This is what we we call uh, why we call Jesus the mediator, the great mediator. I think it also refers to Jesus as that in Hebrews as well. And in this moment, Moses is a shadow of Jesus because he's mediating. He's mediating. Let's look at it again. Verse 11. He says this. This is, this is Moses talking to God. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, listen to this language. O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people? Why does it burn against your people? Whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with an evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. What is Moses doing? He's mediating. Because if we look just a few verses back, the Lord's very clear about what's about to happen. He's about to go after them. He even tells Moses, leave me alone so that I can stew in my anger a little bit more before I deal with this. You you may wonder if your prayers matter. This is a great picture that our prayers matter. I I have a friend and theologian that calls it the dignity of causality. That when you pray, that when you open your mouth to pray, that God allows your prayer to make an impact in a way that you would never otherwise have the ability to impact it, and we see that here. That the Lord had a plan to go after them, but Moses mediates, which is definitively the grace that we receive from Jesus. And he responds to this moment as the great mediator, as if to say, Lord, give grace to their sin. Give grace to their brokenness. They are young in their journey and they have the wrong perspective of the moment. He, he responds with perspective, he responds with grace, and then lastly, he responds with destruction. I had somebody tell me that that was an appropriate point today because it's Halloween. Um, I thought it was funny. Um, he responds with destruction. Moses, Moses after mediating it's kind of like, have you ever been a parent? Those of you who have kids, if you don't have kids, I don't know how you would be a parent. Um, but it, have you ever had like, maybe you've watched other people's kids, where, where you go to the, the, the person who's like accusing your kid of something and you defend them like they're perfect and then you unleash all kinds of parental anger the second you're alone. How many of you have experienced that on the child's side? Like that is, that's real deal parenting right now. And that's what we see Moses do. Because Moses knew something. He knew that it was important to respond with perspective. He knew that it was important to respond with grace. But he also knew like at some point, like we have to deal with what's going on. We have to have a conversation about, about the thing that you're, you're carrying with you into this next season. So Moses comes down, he sees what they're doing. He breaks the 10 Commandments and then he does something awful. He melts down or whittles down, depending on what translation you read, and he makes all of the people worshiping the golden calf drink it. Now I don't know about you, but I'm betting that the best part of waking up is not gold in your cup. Like that doesn't sound pleasant. That does not sound pleasant at all. It's disgusting. It probably, I'm guessing there were like health issues from drinking gold. I'm I'm, I'm just guessing. Um, But I would think that it was probably an issue. And Moses is responding to say to them, if you wanna go deeper with God, if you wanna continue on the journey to the place that God has promised you, you're gonna have to destroy these things here. It's not unlike the story that we see in scripture where Jesus looks at the lady uh, caught in adultery and he doesn't more publicly punish her. He doesn't doesn't, um, do even what is common in that time, but he just looks at her and he says, just go and sin no more. Destroy the things that you have from that that past life so that you can continue on the journey that God has for you and bring you into a new perspective where you are more willing to lean on and trust in the God that you serve. I ask you this morning, what, what in your life Needs to be destroyed. What in your life have you have you held on to because it's it's kind of like the well if everything if this whole Jesus thing doesn't work out or it doesn't work the way I think it well I'll just I'll just keep this thing with me and if I need it I'll pull it out if I don't I'll, it'll just be there. It'll, it's a safety blanket. What is that thing in your life that? that you have not yet, maybe it's, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's a, a form of brokenness or sin in your life that, that you, you haven't continued to engage in, but you've kept it in the back of your mind as an option. What is that thing in you that you need to, to say, you know what, today I'm gonna melt the calf and I'm gonna dispose of everything so that I can continue to go on the journey that God has called me. Because the truth is if we, if we allow the Lord to respond and God to respond to us with perspective and grace, but we never destroy that thing, we'll just go in a circle. We'll just go in a circle because we'll always find ourselves back with the same problem, with the same issue. What God's saying to us this morning is this just make a decision today between you and Him to destroy that thing. Just stand with me all over the room. With everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes closed, I just want to ask a I just wanna ask a question. Do you have something that today is the day that you need to just, you need to destroy that thing? You need to let it go. You need to not let it be an option anymore. You just, you wanna move past it so that you can go deeper in the journey that God has you on. If that's you and you say, I've, I've got something like that, it's just me and you looking around. Can I get just a little bit of house lights, Steve? Um, just a little bit. It's just you and I, would you Would you lift your hand? I, I wanna pray for you. It's just you and I. Yeah, there's hands going up all over the room. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah. Father, I pray for every person that's lifted their hand today that says, that they need to respond to maybe the unknown in their life right now with some destruction. Father, I pray that you'd give them the boldness and the the ability to recognize that thing, to mark that thing, and to say, God, I'm never going back. I'm never going back. Maybe they went back a week ago. Maybe they went back a month ago. Maybe they went back a year ago, but they're they're still holding on to it. Father, I pray that you'd give them the boldness to just never go back that they'll let it go, that they won't worry about it, that they'll, that they'll begin to trust you and go just a little bit deeper in their journey. And Father, as they do that, Lord, I pray that you would give them perspective, the, the, the better perspective that Moses had in this moment. I pray that you'd give him that perspective, give them that perspective this morning to see that trusting you is better than reverting back to trusting ourselves. We ask these things in your name, Jesus Christ, the strong son of God. Amen and amen.